Today is December 6th, 2023. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. We have a loaded episode. This is episode 100 of the podcast. I have an abundance of things to discuss. We're going to talk about David Benavidez versus Demetrius Andrade. We're going to talk about Ryan Garcia versus Oscar Duarte. But we're also going to discuss the big main event taking place this weekend for the super lightweight championship of the world. I'm talking about Devin the Dream Haney versus Regis Progre. But before we get into this week's matchup, let's talk about the super middleweight division. A couple of weeks ago, we got David Benavidez stopping Demetrius Andrade. I told you guys in the fight preview that I expected a good fight, and I think we got a good fight. That fight was pretty much all action from beginning to end. Bubu Andrade started the fight really well, in my opinion. I thought he showed that he belonged in there. He showed the size wasn't a major factor. He actually was pushing Benavidez back slightly at times. He stood in the pocket. He wasn't afraid to exchange. He did really well until he didn't. That's the thing when you're fighting David Benavidez. Once the momentum shifts to David Benavidez's favor, the fight is virtually over. And that's what we saw. I believe it was the fourth round. The end of the fourth round, Benavidez catches Andrade with a right hand on the top of his head. A perfect shot. It was thrown with kind of a crooked angle to it. Reminded me of a triple G punch. If you're not familiar with the relationship there, David Benavides has a history of sparring with Triple G. Maybe that played into the way he threw that punch. Maybe it didn't, but there is a connection there. Keep that in mind. But anyway, it was a perfectly placed punch by Benavides. It caught Andrade off guard, and it hurt him badly. I knew he was hurt badly when I saw his eyes almost roll into the back of his head. But it was the very, very end of the fourth round. And that's kind of a double-edged sword. Because you want time to recover when you get hurt. So it's like, oh, if there was more time, maybe he would have recovered. But then again, maybe he would have got stopped if there was more time. It's hard to really say. But I remember thinking, damn, if David... Excuse me, if, if Andrade backed up the last 10 seconds of that round, who knows how that fight would have went because he was losing that round, but he was still trying to press. He was still, he was still trying to make something happen late in that fourth round, and it cost him. And in my opinion, it cost him the fight because the fight didn't end there, but you could tell Andrade never fully recovered. He gave a valiant effort. He fought his ass off. For the next two rounds, trying to get it back. Trying to land something big. And he does land big things. It's just David Benavidez walks through it. And continues to come forward. And continues to let his hands go. High volume pressure is the style of Benavidez. Everyone knows that. But when he's walking through your best shots, it has to be demoralizing. There's nothing you can do. When a guy just keeps walking through your best shots. It was to the point where you're already hurt. 
You're already losing rounds. If you're on your back foot, it's not going to look good at this point. If he was doing that from the beginning and avoided getting hurt in the first place, then you have an argument for winning a fight that way. But there was no way Andrade was going to win that fight on his back foot for the rest of the fight. I just didn't see that happening. So now you have to question, did Andrade make the right decision? Because there's been a clip going around. It's hard to get the clear audio, but it does sound like Andrade at the end of the sixth says, stop it. Tells his corner, stop it. His corner then gets the ref and tells them to stop it. I'm not 100% sure if Andrade said that. But if he did, ask yourself, how do you feel about that decision? Did he quit? Did he have anything left to give in that fight? Because I've seen both arguments. I've seen people say, you know what, he's a quitter. He didn't want to continue, whatever. He's a bum, this and that. Those type of people typically already had their mind made up about Android before this fight. So I'm not going to say they're right or they're wrong. It's their opinion. I've seen other people saying, you know what? He gave it his all after getting up from the knockdown in the fifth and the sixth. He realized there wasn't anything left for him to do and said, you know what? This is only going to get worse. I'm only going to take more punishment. Might as well end the fight now. David Benavidez beat me. I'm not sure how to think of it. I think it's a it's a question that is valid. I think if Andrade was right here now, I would ask him what his mindset was. What was he thinking? Did he think, you know what? I've given it my all the last couple rounds. My all simply isn't good enough. And then ask yourself this. Do you want fighters to just get their ass kicked and sent to the hospital or even worse? Which one is it? Because some people die in the ring, and then we say, oh my god, why did this fight go on so long? And then other people say, you know what, I've had it, and then they're done. And we say, oh, they're quitters. So I don't know. I really don't know the answer. I don't know what's best. I think Andrade's true colors will come out in the next few fights, or the next, the rest of his career, really. We'll have to see what he does. If he goes out there with another big puncher and tells his corner, you know, stop the fight, then then he will be labeled a quitter. He'll be known as a quitter. If he goes out there and recaptures a world championship or goes out there and has another huge victory and overcomes adversity throughout that fight, he can change that narrative really quickly. So we'll have to see. Um, I think Andrade... His career will be a lot of what-ifs. He's 35 years old. He got to the biggest point of his career and lost. Um, people can blame weight, blame things like that. I'm not an excuse guy. I don't like to make excuses for fighters. They make enough excuses on their own. So I don't really care to hear anything about weight and stuff like that. Listen, you lost the fight. You got stopped. David Benavidez put on a hell of a performance against a really good fighter. People are going to bash Andre now that he lost, saying, oh, he was never that good. He was never this, never that. Well, which one is it? Is Benavidez having a great performance, or did he just beat a guy that wasn't that good? I think it was the former. I think Andre is a really good fighter. He just didn't get the opportunities till late. 
in his career. And when he had opportunities early, he let them slip. But at the end of the day, the dude made a ton of money. Hopefully he continues his career. And hopefully he bounces back. As for David Benavidez, we're going to see. 168 pounds isn't the deepest division, but there is some some fights out there. you got David Morrell, and of course you've got Canelo Alvarez, which is the one that everybody wants to see. Canelo Alvarez is the cash cow. Unfortunately, I had to argue with people on Twitter, on the spaces. I don't need to mention any names, but somebody was trying to tell me, and this sounds ridiculous. Somebody was trying to tell me, oh, you know, Canelo signed a fight deal, a fight contract with PBC, so he's going to fight whoever they tell him to fight. Are you out of your mind? Canelo Alvarez calls the shots here. Canelo Alvarez is the cash cow. They don't tell him who he's going to fight. They can suggest it. They can come to him with a contract. But at the end of the day, Canelo Alvarez will fight who he wants to fight. He's earned that right. Do we have to agree with it? Absolutely not. Most of the time we don't. But the fact is, he calls the shots. So he's going to fight whoever he wants to fight. I don't think he's going to fight David Benavidez next. Hopefully I'm wrong. But we will see. We know typically Canelo likes to fight in May and September. The two Mexican holidays. Cinco de Mayo and then uh, Mexican Independence Day in September. So we'll see early this year, early next year what his move is going to be for May. But as far as Benavidez, he needs to just continue to move forward. He can't wait around for Canelo. And he hasn't. He's fought Caleb Plant. He's fought Andrade. Two really solid wins. Two good names in his resume. And he needs to continue to build on that. He's having successful events. Selling tickets. Selling pay-per-views. He's doing his thing. And he needs to continue it and continue to build. And put that pressure on Canelo. So if Canelo fights anyone else. Not only the fans. But the media. The casual public, everyone in unison can start saying, hey, why aren't you fighting David Benavidez? What's going on here? So I don't know what Canelo's going to do. It's probably going to be either Jaime Munguia or Jamal Charlo, unfortunately. I'm not saying that's what I want to see. I'm saying that's the way it seems like it's going. Jaime Munguia is fighting John Ryder. That would be a common opponent with Canelo. They're doing business Early next year, I believe it's in January. I personally expect Jaime Munguia to run through John Ryder. I don't think highly of either one, but I think Munguia has a style that is very physical, very relentless, and he's willing to walk through shots to do damage. So I think John Ryder is going to get hurt in this fight. And then if he fights Canelo in May, I mean, I don't hate the fight, but I'm not a big fan of it. I think it will be entertaining, though. That's for sure. I think it will be entertaining, but I just think it's a pretty easy win for Canelo. And then the Jamal Charlo fight, that's a tough one because I'm a fan of Jamal. Jamal's a really good fighter, but Jamal has tons of issues. Personal issues, mental issues, alcohol issues, ring rust issues. The guy hasn't fought in over two years before the undercard of the Benavidez fight. So throwing him in there with Canelo, not only throwing him in there, but he's moving up in weight. That's just a ridiculous task to ask him to overcome. It's just stupid. I don't see any benefit of it 
except for financially for them guys. So if Jamal Chalo doesn't care about legacy, doesn't care about winning, he'll take the fight now. If he does care about winning, he'll get a tune-up again because the Jose Benavidez fight, while he did what he had to do, he got some rounds in, whatever, he still needs another tune-up. He didn't look great. He looked good. He looked okay, but you're fighting a one-legged man who is also a smaller man, a smaller one-legged man. So that's not going to show us anything as far as how a Canelo fight's going to look. I need to see more. He needs to worry about Caleb Plant, really, the guy that slapped him up. That should be the fight he's looking to make. But that's just the way it seems now. It's either Jamal or Jaime Munguia for Canelo, but hopefully we're wrong. Speaking of Canelo, two of his former stablemates made headlines this past weekend. I'm talking about Ryan Garcia and his business partner, Oscar De La Hoya. Now, before Ryan's fight with Oscar Duarte, he made some interesting remarks about Oscar De La Hoya, saying that they're not really rooting for him to win. They're looking at Duarte as the next Mexican star looking to dethrone Ryan Garcia. He alluded to Bernard Hopkins' comments because Bernard Hopkins said, you know, after this fight, we're going we're gonna to see if Ryan Garcia is going to continue to fight. Ryan Garcia basically said, hey, you don't determine whether I fight or not. I determine that. My team determines that. Ultimately, God determines that. He's like, you have been saying whatever. He even referenced the time that Bernard Hopkins got knocked out of the ring by Joe Smith right in front of Bernard Hopkins. He said, you know, Bernard Hopkins, he'd be lying. He said he'll never lose to a white boy. Last time I checked, Joe Smith is white. So, so there's clearly some bad blood there between Ryan Garcia and his promotional team. Whether it's a work, as they say in the wrestling world, whether this is all just to garner interest and generate views on social media and get people to tune into the fight. Maybe it is a little bit of that. Maybe it is genuine. I think it probably is genuine because they're in the middle of a lawsuit, last I heard. So we'll just have to see how it plays out. We'll see if Ryan Garcia continues to fight under the Golden Boy banner. I believe he does have several fights left on his deal. But that's outside of the ring stuff. That stuff will take care of itself, and I'll be here to discuss it when there's any new information on that. But let's talk about what took place inside the ring. Ryan Garcia, to me, well, he got the win, that's for sure. But Ryan Garcia, to me, overall, looked solid. He didn't look great. He didn't look terrible. He didn't look bad. He looked like Ryan Garcia. He looked like a good fighter who has plenty of flaws, He's an, but he is an exciting fighter. He's worth watching because typically he's in entertaining fights. My only issue with him is the jab. The jab is at an elementary level. I tweeted that uh, that night or the next morning, rather. I think Ryan Garcia's jab is at an elementary level, but he has tremendous speed. He has tremendous power, and those two things can bail him out of tricky situations. He's also only 25 years old. I think there's still room for improvement as long as he listens to his coach, Jerry James. Ryan Garcia was trying to implement a shoulder roll in that fight with Duarte, 
And Derrick James pretty much looked at him like, what the hell are you doing? We didn't work on this in camp. You're not Floyd Mayweather. Stop doing the shoulder roll. It looked horrendous. But Ryan Garcia is a maverick. He's going to do whatever he wants to do in there at times. Is it going to work to his benefit? Maybe, maybe not. It's a risk. This guy is a risk. But he is an exciting fighter. And that is half the battle. We bash Shakur Stevenson, who is a really good fighter. But his performances have left a lot to be desired. Ryan Garcia typically will give you the bang for your buck. You're going to see him get touched up in there. You're going to see him get hit. You're going to see him get cracked. We're going to see him respond. Is he going to respond like he did against Javante Davis, where he gave up? Well, he got up. Let me rephrase that. He got up from a big shot from Tank, continued to fight, then got dropped again, and then gave up. So it's not like he just got hit once and gave up. But other times, he'll get the stoppage, like he did with Luke Campbell. Um, Duarte didn't give him too many fits. But I thought Duarte was tough. He did give Ryan a little bit of trouble in there. Went to the body a lot, but he wasn't winning many rounds. That was the problem there. But Ryan Garcia came through when it mattered, got the stoppage. Um, He showed a lot of different things. I thought he moved really well in that fight. And we talked about Shakur. The difference is Ryan fought most of the fight. Then he moved later in the fight when he thought Duarte was gaining some momentum. And then when the crowd booed, Ryan Garcia responded with a stoppage victory. That's the difference. The crowd that paid to see you is booing. It's telling you, you're not giving us what we came to see, what we paid our money to see. Ryan said, you know what? You're right. Stepped to the opponent and ended up stopping him. That is big in the sport of boxing. You want fighters that deliver. This is an entertainment business at the end of the day. We don't watch fights just to see who wins. No, we also watch them to be entertained by them. Ryan Garcia is entertainment. I want to see what he does next. I think the Roly fight makes a ton of sense. It will be for a title. It's two guys who could sell it. They could trash talk. Roly isn't the best fighter. Let's be real here. That fight is definitely winnable for Ryan Garcia. And I think it will be exciting. Both guys come forward. Both guys start with power. That is... One of the fights I'm looking forward to in 2024. I want to see entertainment. I want to see crazy shit. Is that going to be for the best fighter at 140? Absolutely not. But it's going to be an entertaining fight. Hopefully we get it. But when you're talking about 140, you've got to talk about this weekend. All eyes will be in San Francisco. We have a fantastic matchup at 140 for the WBC Championship. We have Regis Progre, the champion, defending against Devin the Dream Haney the undisputed champion at 135 pounds. He is no longer at 135. He's moved up. He's relinquishing the belts. He's looking for a new title in a new division. And it's not often you see a guy move up and take on one of the toughest challengers at that division. This fight is really interesting because I feel like a lot has changed in the last year. If this fight was made a year ago, I believe we'd be talking about Devin Haney, the underdog. But now, given the circumstances, since then, you've had Devin Haney beat Vasily Lomachenko at 135, and you had Regis Progre put on arguably his worst performance of his career 
against Zorilla. It was a boring fight. It was an ugly fight. It was a fight that Regis found trouble cutting off the ring against a mover like Zorilla. There was even a point in that fight where Regis could have been dropped. It was a close call. The referee decided not to call it a drop. I think it was a drop. So based on that performance, people are looking at it and saying, you know what? Regis has no chance here. He's going to lose definitely to Devin Haney. And I would tell people to relax a little bit on that. I do favor Devin Haney in this fight. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he wins. I think it would be extremely dangerous to count out Regis Progre. Again, if you would have asked me a year ago who the best fighter at 140 is, I would say Regis Progre. Since then, we've seen the emergence of Teofimo Lopez when he defeated uh, Josh Taylor. We're seeing Subriel Matias put together a bunch of good victories. He, in fact, has made his last five opponents quit. He's a problem. Teofimo is a problem. But Regis Progre is still a top guy in the division. Make no mistake about it. If it wasn't for Matias... I would be saying Regis Progre is the hardest hitter at 140. Devin Haney is going to have to deal with that. This is going to begin as a boxing match. A pure boxing match because Devin Haney is that talented. But this is a 12-round fight. And as much as I like Devin Haney as a fighter and his skills and all that, nobody's going to mistake him for Deontay Wilder. He's not a one-punch knockout guy by any means. So for Devin Haney to win, the chances are it's going to go the distance, right? Well, throughout the course of those 12 rounds, I believe during this boxing match, a fight is going to break out. Is it going to be early? Is it going to be late? I don't know. But I believe through one, from 1 through 12, in the midst of this fight, a fight will break out. An ugly fight will break out. Regis Progre will put it all on the line at some point in there. He knows he's not going to win a decision. He's going to hurt Devin Haney. That is going to be his game plan. And it would be irresponsible to think that Devin Haney can't be touched up. Because we saw him get touched up against Vasily Lomachenko late in that fight, didn't we? We saw him get cracked against Jorge Linares late in their fight, didn't we? We saw Jojo Diaz have some success, didn't we? So for us to just think that Regis, who is the natural guy in the division, he's been at that division for quite some time, Devin Haney is moving up in weight, it would be crazy to think that there won't be times in this fight where Regis puts those hands on Devin Haney. And whatever Regis throws, he's throwing with power. So there will be a window. It's just how long and how often Will that window be open? I don't think it'll be open for very long. But Regis will have chances in this fight. Regis is a gambler. Regis is going to go in there, bet on himself, and try to land something big. Another thing people aren't talking about too often is Regis is a southpaw. Devin Haney has had issues with the southpaw. The Jojo Diaz fight... While Devin did clearly win the fight, it was a little bit more competitive than people thought. I think that's because of the southpaw stance. I think that's because also the mentality of Jojo Diaz. He's pretty tough. 
even though he's a clown, he is a pretty tough competitor in there. But um, the southpaw stance made it more difficult for Devin Haney to land his jab. And I think Devin Haney has one of the better jabs in boxing. But it's tougher to land on the southpaw. Same thing with Lomachenko. That arguably is fight of the year. I had 8-4 Devin Haney for the record. I think if you thought Devin Haney lost that fight, you should go back and watch it. Watch the body punches that Devin Haney was landing in that fight. But he did have an issue landing that jab. Regis Progray is a guy who is a southpaw and he moves. He doesn't have like supreme head movement or anything like that. But he does move his head fairly well. He moves around. He kind of has like a herky-jerky style. He's moving his hands a lot, which kind of can throw off your timing a little bit. Um, he faints with his hands a lot, faints with his upper body. It could be difficult for Haney to find a spot for that jab. I think the right hand is going to be the biggest punch for Haney in this fight. Because if the jab is going to be tough to land on the southpaw, he could use kind of like a blinder jab, where he puts the left hand out there, almost like a feint. He's going to put it out there, but he's not really trying to land. He's trying to get you to move out of position. He gets you to move, then he comes with the right hand, whether it's to the body or to the head. The straight right will be effective in this fight. Regis Progray is going to have to land something of significance to really keep Haney off of him, because I think later in this fight, you're going to see Haney pressing. Early, he has to be careful. Progray is extremely dangerous. I don't care about his last fight. He is a dangerous puncher. So Haney, if he's not careful, could get caught early. But I think he's a smart fighter. I think he's going to be on the outside early and then press late. That will be the key. He has to press late. He can't press too early. Um, Regis is going to want him to engage early. Regis is at his best when he's countering. He's countering and he's throwing power shots. He's not really using his jab too much. His jab is kind of mediocre. We talked about Ryan Garcia's jab. It's not that bad, but it's not at the level of a Devin Haney jab. One thing you can take from that Zaria fight against, against Regis was the footwork. We saw that Regis wasn't the best when it came to tracking down a fighter. So he's going to be trying to get on the inside. He's a, he's a, a southpaw, so he's going to try and establish that lead foot dominance and step to his right. But Haney's going to have much quicker feet. Haney's going to simply move straight back or even at an angle. He's going to move back and catch Regis reaching in. I think that is going to be a big factor, the foot speed and the reflexes, because I think the age will, will show here when it comes to reflexes. Both guys have great reflexes, but Devin Haney, remember, is only 25 years old. Regis Progray is in his mid-30s, I believe. Yeah, he's 34 years old. So, like I spoke about in the Benavidez versus Andrade fight, when it comes down to the second half of this fight, even though the previous fight that I mentioned didn't make it to the second half, if this fight gets into the second half, and even the final third of the fight, that's where the age matters. The younger, fresher guy will show you he's the younger, fresher guy when he's landing combinations, when he is pressing forward, when he has that extra flurry at the end of a round, that's when it will matter. And I really do feel like there's a possibility it comes down to the final third of this fight because 
Regis is motivated. He heard people trashing that last fight, as they should. And people are really doubting him, even though he's the champion. So that's going to play a factor here. Remember, Haney has never fought at this weight. So he's going to be in there with not only a bit, uh, stronger puncher than he's used to being in there with, but also one of the strongest punchers in the entire division, period. We're going to have to see how Haney reacts to taking those punches. But Haney, I've always said, is benefiting himself by moving up. I felt Haney at 135 was depleted. That was a 130-pound fighter who'd been at that division for 30 fights. That's a little bit too much, especially when you're in your first division. I think Haney's a big guy for that weight class. I think he's going to be much healthier at 140, much stronger at 140, much sturdier at 140, and I think he'll have more energy at 140. Because when he was cutting down to 135, he was also cutting muscle. That could be... I could be wrong on that, though. That's just my opinion. He looked like a drained fighter at 135, and he was still beating guys like Lomachenko. I think you're going to see Haney at his best at 140, if not even at 147. But we'll have to see. This is going to be a really exciting fight. I think Devin Haney gets this little knock on him that he's boring. I think people were confusing him with Shakur Stevenson or something because... Like I talked about earlier, Lomachenko fight, one of the best fights of the year. Jojo Diaz fight, very entertaining fight. Jorge Linares fight, very entertaining fight. There were times in that Camboso's fight where he went for the stoppage. He didn't get it. He's not a big power puncher or anything like that, but he was going for the stoppage. That's something that Shakur Stevenson wasn't doing. So Haney may have a lack of power, but he doesn't have a lack of effort. I think his punch selection is one of the best in boxing. I think he's going to be throwing shots that Prograde doesn't see coming. So I expect a good performance from him, but I do expect him to get tested at times in this fight. Prograde is no bum. Prograde is no slouch. I'm tired of hearing that narrative. Because that's bullshit. A lot of guys weren't willing to jump in there with Regis Prograde. Josh Taylor did. But I didn't see Jose Ramirez willing to fight him. I didn't see T.O. willing to fight him. Maybe they will now. This guy's 34 years old. But Devin Haney has a chance to do something extremely special. He was undisputed at 135. He could be a champion in multiple weight classes, but not just any champion. Beating legit champions, not fighting for vacant titles, not being emailed champions. I know he was in the past, but that was more of a technicality, and then eventually he beat that guy whose name was Lomachenko anyway. Um... Traveling to Australia, taking risks, being a free agent. This kid is doing a lot of things we wish our favorite fighters would do. It's time to give this kid credit. Love him or hate him, gotta give him credit because he has the best resume of any young fighter in the game today, and he's only 25 years old. We always say we want the best versus the best. Well, this dude is out there challenging the best, challenging the best available. If you're paying attention, you can kind of see it's almost like he's gearing up for a Javante Tank Davis fight. Javante Tank Davis is a southpaw with power. Regis Prograde is a southpaw with power. Lomachenko was a southpaw. I mentioned the Jojo Diaz fight. It's like he's getting in there with southpaws to see how he does and, and what he can learn each and every time against different styles so when he gets in there with an elite guy like Tank, 
He will be as prepared as possible. Does that mean he's going to win? We shall see. My money would be on Tank Davis. But he's putting himself in position from an experience standpoint to get in there with Tank. He wants a Tank fight. He said there was no interest on Tank's side. So he decided to go to 140 and continue collecting belts and things like that. But not only is he doing it from a critical standpoint as far as his opponents and his performances, but now he's starting to do it from a commercial standpoint, which is extremely important in the sport of boxing. You have Javante Tank Davis who could sell out an arena anywhere in the country. Probably doesn't even matter the opponent. That's the type of star he is. But now you have Devin Haney who went to Australia, did big numbers against uh, the hometown hero, Cambosis. Now, earlier in the year, he goes to the MGM Grand, has a pay-per-view, extremely successful event for top rank. Their most, ex- their most successful event since Manny Pacquiao was headlining over there. Sells out the MGM, and now you have him at the Chase Arena in San Francisco, a place that he was born Currently lives in Vegas, but he was born in San Fran. And they're doing another great, great number. Selling out. Over 17,000 fans will be in attendance for this fight. This is a fight that when it was announced, people were like, oh, is that going to do numbers? I was curious too. They're selling out the arena. This is where the Golden State Warriors play. That's big business. This is a pay-per-view. Is it going to do huge numbers? No. But it's going to turn a profit, that's for sure. Shakur Stevenson never fought on pay-per-view. Ryan Garcia, the only time he was on pay-per-view was against Tank Davis. So Haney can come to the negotiation table if he wins this fight and say, hey, Tank, I've had two pay-per-views against two high-caliber fighters in two different divisions in two different states. And sold out the arena. I want a big piece of this pie. Is it 50-50? Of course it's not going to be 50-50. But he can demand a pretty good chunk of that pie if he and Gervonta Tank Davis make it happen. That's why you have to admire Bill Haney as well. The father of Devin Haney slash manager of Devin Haney. He's putting his son in a great position in his career. He's making money. He's having the legacy fights, and he's becoming a star. You can't knock that. You can't knock the hustle. That's what Jay-Z said, right? You can't knock the hustle. The Haney's are hustling. But Saturday night, they got to come through with a victory. It's not going to be easy. But my money is on Devin Haney. I think we see a really good fight. This has the feeling of a big fight. DeZone has done an incredible job, and I, I bash them all the time. They're the worst to me. When it comes to the big three, when you're talking about PBC, top rank, DAZN, I think DAZN's boxing, whether it's Matchroom or Golden Boy, the production has been has left a lot to be desired. But they have been killing it with this promotion. I have to give them credit here. All the content they've put out has been good. The face to face, the um, it's not called All Access, but they had like another show that was really good. The poster itself was really good. The trailer when this fight got announced was really good. They're all in on Devin Haney, as they should be. And Devin Haney's a free agent. He's smart. He'll go to top rank, have a big event. 
come over to, to Matchroom, DAZN, have a big event. Maybe he'll go to PBC, have a big event. Like, he's doing it how you're supposed to be doing it. This is going to be a really good fight. I think the event is going to be great. It feels big, like I said. And, well, the only knock I have on it is the undercard. I think the undercard sucks. Um, they should have threw something together on there. But, hey, we don't really buy events for the undercard, do we? Typically, it's all about the main event. And this is a main event worthy of a pay-per-view, in my opinion. But check it out. It's going to be on zone. Saturday, December 9th. The card begins at 8 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking for one fight on this undercard, check out the lightweight fight. Andy Cruz versus Hector Tanahara. Tanahara is a solid fighter. He's 21-1. Andy Cruz is only 1-0, but he's a seven-time gold medalist. He won the Olympics in 2020. This dude is the real deal. He trains with the Ennis crew, Jerron Boots Ennis. He's the real deal. I mean, I can't I can't really explain it. You have to watch it. He's technical, he's powerful, he's dominant. Again, it's only been one fight, right? How is this guy dominant? Tune in and watch him. He's the goods. He beat the hell out of Juan Carlos Burgos in his opening fight. That's a guy that Keyshawn Davis fought like Six, seven fights in. Andy Cruz mopped him in his first fight. He's fighting Hectic Tanahara in his second fight. This dude is being fast-tracked. Pay attention now. Also on this card is Ebony Bridges. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to break down no woman's boxing on here. I'm sorry. Unless it's Amanda Serrano, Katie Taylor, Clarissa the Quote Shields. Or Alicia Bumgarner. I'm really not too interested in women's boxing. I'm sorry. Ebony Bridges. Some people like to look at her. She's not bad. She's alright. But um, other than that, yeah. There's nothing really to break down there. And then on the co-main, Liam Paro versus Montana Love. Actually, that's a pretty good fight. At 140, that's a good fight. Paro's 23-0. Montana Love is a good fighter. I mean, he was hyped up. I think he's going to get beat up in this fight. He's 18-1. and one. Pyro's got some real power. Pyro's been trying to make noise. He was supposed to get the Regis Progray fight. But um, Progray went a different direction. So hopefully he can make some noise on the undercard. And then maybe he'll be in line for the winner. We'll just have to see. But that's a good fight. But overall, I mean, the undercard isn't something that you really need to pay too much attention to, if we're being honest. Other than Andy Cruz, I think he's definitely worth your time. But it's all about the main event. Oh, real quick, before I forget, that Saturday. But last week, I just want to talk about Floyd Schofield. You want to talk about a blue chipper, one of the best prospects in boxing, 21 years old, 16-0, fights at lightweight. He is the truth. He beat the hell out of Ricardo Lopez Torres in the first round. This was supposed to be a test. This guy aced it with flying colors, beating Torres in under two minutes. Destroyed that boy. Keep an eye. I talked about Andy Cruz. Keep an eye on Andy Cruz. Keep an eye on Floyd Schofield. The difference is Andy Cruz is 28 years old. He was an amateur for quite some time. You know, the Cubans like to be in the amateurs. Well, not like to. Sometimes it's against their will. But they're amateurs for a very long time. He didn't turn pro till 28. 
Schofield is a young man, only 21 years old. He's one of the best prospects. I say one of the because the best prospect is Abdullah Mason. I've said it on this podcast before. I'll say it again. Abdullah Mason is that guy. But Floyd Schofield will be in the mix. Trust and believe that. He is one of the best fighters under 25 years old. But I just wanted to talk about him really quick. I had him in my notes and I forgot to mention him earlier. But thank you guys for listening. It's 100 episodes in. We're not stopping. We're only going to continue to grow. Hopefully we can get hundreds and hundreds of more episodes out there. 2023 has been a great year. 2024 looks to be even bigger. We have a wrestling podcast on the way. I'll talk to you guys about that shortly. But thank you guys for listening. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Don't forget to give me that five-star review. Appreciate every last one of you. Saturday night on the zone. Regis Prograde defending against Devin Haney. Do not miss it. Enjoy the fights. I'm out.